What's up, everybody? We are back with another episode of the Factory Tour today. It is a beautiful Wednesday afternoon, August 2nd. And I am here with my friend Joe, uh, Joe Mamolo. He's not much of a presence on Twitter. You don't necessarily see his name next to all of the articles on DFF, but he works behind the scenes, helps us get stuff done. Specifically, he runs our rankings page over on the site, and I just I forced him to come on the show. It's his first podcast appearance. So, Joe, what do you have to say to the people? Hey, real G's move in silence, like lasagna. <laughs> Perfect. You're doing a great job so far. I think this is going to be an excellent show. Um, yeah, Joe. So, Joe and I have been friends for a couple of years now. He's I'm in a few leagues with him. We've obviously known each other through DFF. He's in the Pokemon League that I mentioned a couple episodes back with Billy on the Mailbag Show. Uh, might even be a bigger Pokemon fan than me. You can see he's got uh, he's got some stuff behind him there. Some Pokemon products as well. Uh, but he actually created another league that we're both in together. And before we jump into the main part of the show, I just wanted to shout that out. It's a uh, it's a Mario Kart themed empire league where we have to like earn coins by winning cups and anyway joe do you want to just tell tell the people a little bit about this amazing league that you created so they can try to create their own yeah i mean i think the empire leagues are super cool because you get to really use your imagination to create anything you want out of a fantasy football league you know combine other passions with fantasy football which for most of us is another passion um the idea of this Empire League for Mario Kart actually kind of came about because of the Pokemon League. You know, we I was in that first, and as a huge fan of Pokemon, I was like, this is so cool to be able to put these two things together. Um, and so my love for Nintendo, I was like, okay, like, what would work out? Um, you know, Super Smash Brothers was an idea. Um, and I was like, just trying to think, but like, the idea of a race just was really sticking with me and breaking the season into different parts and rewarding different streaks. Um, you know, it, it just seemed to fit really well. So a little about the league, you know, it's a bigger, bigger league, 14 teams, and everybody has a racer that they pick. Um, and then each week, you know, you get an, an item that's you know, rolled and, um, the probabilities are based on what position you're in in the league. So you'll get worse items if you're at the top, some better items if you're at the bottom. Um, and it, it's just a lot of fun. I mean, we do essentially broke, break the regular season up into a into three-week chunks where you're doing a Grand Prix. So you've got one race for three weeks, another for three weeks, so on. And then at the end of it all, you're kind of put into these two groups in like a NASCAR playoff style where the bottom team gets eliminated the first week. And then the second week, the bottom two team in each group gets eliminated. And then everybody else comes together for a, a big championship showdown. Um, and so you earn points or coins throughout the league season. And then um, at the essentially the winner of the entire league um, is the first person to hit 100 coins. So, you know, it, we estimated the league would probably last around five to seven years, um, or sorry, not five to seven, it'd probably be closer to like four, four to five years. And, you know, at the end of year one, we had someone who had 27 points, which was, or, uh, I think over 30 points. So it was a little concerning, but his team took a deep dive this past season. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're very lucky that the league gonna, is going to be extended a few more years, hopefully. <laughs> Yeah, I, well, that's how it works. Dynasty goes in, in cycles like that, so it's hard to stay at the top consistently. But uh, yeah, the league is a, it's truly a work of genius. It's a really cool league. Um, Joe's got a lot of math involved with the, the probabilities of the items and everything, so it makes it all balanced, and they all have different abilities. Like you can you know knock people down points when you hit them with shells and stuff like that. Uh, I've been tanking in that league for the last two years because I just totally botched the startup, but I finally have some pieces. I'm ready to to try to actually earn some coins this year. And I, I might be paying a little bit more attention to what's happening in the league week to week. Cause I'm not just like trying to score the least possible points. So I've got Kyler, uh, Deshaun Watson and Anthony Richardson in the quarterback room. Now I'm ready to ready to go after it. Um, but yeah, so that's the Mario Kart league. Uh, Empire leagues are really, really cool way to switch up your dynasty experience a little bit. Today's show though is about rankings. So Joe, like I said, heads up the rankings over at DFF. Doesn't actually do his own rankings for the site anymore. He's a little too busy for that with his, his quote-unquote real job. 
Um, but he does make sure the rankings get updated in a timely fashion and uh, keeps an eye on things in case anything, you know, news breaks. He's like, all right, guys, time to update the Jonathan Taylor ranking because apparently he's never playing football again or whatever. And so we decided be a good idea to talk about some players and where they're ranked on our site and where they're ranked by the consensus and just do a good old fashioned player show. It's fun to talk about players. The season's coming up. You've got regular redraft leagues coming in. So it's important to think about how these players are going to score in the immediate future. So let's talk about rankings in general, just as an exercise, right? The pros and cons of actually creating linear rankings. Why do you think that they are important to the, the average dynasty consumer? You know, it, it take me as an example, right? Um, not everybody, especially those not just on Twitter in the fantasy analyst community are going to be so in touch with the everyday news that's going on in the NFL. There's just so much going on. Um, you know, it, it could be a back and forth between Brock Purdy and Trey Lance and you know, what coach said what this week that someone can't keep up with in the middle of May, you know, after the draft has already happened. Um, or it could be like you said, the Jonathan Taylor news and, you know, you, kind of have to lean on people who are staying more in tune to those things and have maybe been around a little bit longer, especially as a newer member in, the, in a dynasty league to take, you know, lean on them to help make your decisions. Um, you know, I, I don't think that linearity is necessarily a good thing. You obviously have to bring your own perspective and you have to bring your own knowledge of where your team stands you know, that's why we talk about tearing off players so much and not just saying, well, this guy is one spot ahead of him, so he must be the better pick. Everything's going to be subjective, but we need to have a good base of people who are more in tune and have their own sets of successful analysis that they're using to build their own rankings. Yeah, I think that's well said. You know, I do have my own personal qualms with linear rankings. Um, just fundamentally, I think, because the gap between players is uniform in a Lydia ranking system. And then you get into an actual league and it's more clustered and it's like the differences are negligible and your individual opinions are going to matter a lot more, but there's definitely pros. I think they're great as a, you know, a reference point when you're trying to send an offer or receive a trade offer, you want to make sure you're in that right ballpark of value. Um, and also just as a way to get better as a player, right? When you have a set of rankings and you see a player ranked a lot higher or lower than you would have expected, or you would have thought you have to evaluate your own process and you have to say like, okay, well, how did they get to that conclusion? And like, either I'm wrong or they're wrong. And I need to think this through, right? Like it, maybe you weren't accounting for something and you see that ranking and it kind of wakes you up to a possibility. So I think in a lot of ways, it's just a good way to, to ground yourself in player value and they don't have to be the, the last, stop, you know, before you make a decision, but maybe they're a good starting point. Um, I do want to circle back to, I actually had something planned at the top of the show that I didn't bring up for some reason, but it does relate to rankings. It's one player in particular that another member of the DFF team has asked me to talk about. We've had many a debate about this player in the discord and that's Daniel Jones. Uh, so Chris M there's two Chris M's at DFF. It's very confusing and they both do rankings. Uh, one of them you've seen on this show regularly. That's Chris Miles. The other Chris is a big Daniel Jones fan. He's got him ranked 37th in his rankings, uh, and he's 56th overall on our DFF consensus dynasty rankings as the QB 16. He's actually 49th overall and also the QB 16 over on keep trade cut. So pretty close to the consensus there as a whole, but he's much higher on him. Uh, and he's asked me to just talk a little bit about his ranking and what I think of him. I think I've brought him up on the show before, uh, but I'm going to go through my my argument about him and just bring up a couple of extra stats. I did a little bit more of a deep dive on him to really solidify my position. But I want to let Joe go first. Do you have any thoughts on Daniel Jones uh, in Dynasty? Do you roster him? Is he somebody you are looking to acquire? Um, and do you think he's properly ranked? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, let's maybe even take a step back first. You said that Chris has him ranked at 37th. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think that the re that's, you talk about evaluating process. Um, the cool thing about rankings, especially with the people who rank for DFF is that, you know, 
they're trustworthy, even no matter where they end up within the individual's rankings. We know that we have a group of people that spend a lot of time researching and analyzing these players that they're ranking because we, you know, from the back end, we can see the work, but also uh, the customers, the consumers can see these articles getting put about, put out about these players. Um, and so it's, it's really interesting to find these discrepancies and processes um, and to see someone like Chris, who we, you know, we know puts in a lot and has his own analysis end up at 37 is um, it, it's kind of surprising to me. Um, personally, I've never really been a Daniel Jones fan. You know, I know that he bring last year, he just absolutely came out of nowhere to increase his rushing yards, which is going to make any fantasy season look pretty fantastic. Um, you know, he even references Chris Miles analysis to say the, I think it was the most, um, the, one of the best predictors of points per game in, a few, in the next season is going to be points per game in the current or this past season. Yeah. Um, but I, really what you're betting on is Brian Dable. You know, is he turning Daniel Jones into Josh Allen? And that's not really a gamble I feel comfortable taking. And at 37, you know, in a typical 12-team league, you're talking about that round three, round four turn. I I would be a bit nervous to take a player like Daniel Jones there. Um, I don't think that he's just become a much better passer. Um, mm -hmm. But I do understand that Dable is a very great coach and he's picking players that fit well around, you know, in the giant system, getting rid of Kenny Galladay. Finally, um, yeah. I'm a big fan of Wandell and Saquon's now going to be back this year. So there's, there's things to like, but I think it's still a little bit rich for my blood at 37. Yeah. I'm with you there. I liked your, what your point was about the rankings. I definitely think that they're a valuable resource overall. And I like the work that Chris does. I just, this is more of a, this is more of a minor disagreement on our part, but I like how the rankings, you know, you get the average of all five. And so it's like, you know, one person's good set of rankings is one thing. You take five sets and you, you create a consensus. You can kind of even out any of the, you know, even in strange abnormalities within one set. So I think that's a good thing, but here's my take. You know, my macro take is basically when you have a quarterback who's been mediocre to bad over a four year span, they probably aren't very good uh, and they probably aren't going to become very good. But to dig into the nitty gritty a little bit, I went ahead and looked at Daniel Jones 2021 season versus 2022, because there is a perception that he made some massive strides as a player. And I think that they're pretty overblown. Really the, the big thing is the rushing yards. He basically doubled his rush attempts uh, more than doubled his rushing yard output and more than tripled his rushing touchdown output in terms of his career best. That's really where the fantasy points come in. But if you look at his passing, right, 2.8 touchdown percentage in 2021 versus 3.2% in 2022, it's a pretty modest increase and still below average. Um, 220 passing yards per game in 2021 actually decreased to 200, probably due to some of that uptake in rushing. 6.7 yards per attempt versus 6.8 in 2022. So basically identical. Also 24th in the league. He also ranked 6.5. Uh, that's not a rank. He ranked 31st in air yards per attempt at 6.5, which kind of explains why his completion percentage went up a bit. That was his career low in air yards per attempt. He's throwing shorter passes. They are completed at a higher rate. Not really that difficult to do. It's just sort of a difference in scheme. The really the big difference as a passer is just the interception percentage. It, it did drop a whole lot down to 1.1%, which is great. Good for you know real life NFL not turning the ball over. Not super relevant for fantasy. Also likely to regress to a, a higher number because I looked back at like Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady career stats. They've had they've consistently been above 1.1 interception percentage throughout their career. So that seems more like the outlier for Jones. He's going to throw more interceptions moving forward, most likely. Um, and if that's really what we're hanging our hats on in terms of his improvements as a passer, I just don't think that spells a lot of upside for the future. And the thing is he does need upside, like further upside to pay off his cost. He was only the QB 10 in points per game last year. Uh, and he was 14th in expected points per game. So it's not like he was a league-winning type of player last year. It's just that at his depressed price, he was a much better payoff than you were expecting. So he ended up having a great season relative to cost. Now, at this third, fourth round cost in startups, 
he's going to need to be able to provide more than a 10 10th overall finish. And I just don't see it because the weapons are really only marginally improved. You know, you get a third round Jalen Hyatt, you add Darren Waller. Okay. I mean, it just doesn't get me that excited. There's no alpha receiver. This isn't like we're not adding Stefan Diggs, AJ Brown to the mix here. Um, he's entering year five. So he's probably not going to improve as a player fundamentally. That just doesn't happen very often. He probably is who he is as a player and his rushing is more likely to regress than to improve. Like we, like we said, it was double the output that he saw previously. I don't think he has much room to grow beyond 700 rushing yards and seven rushing touchdowns. So I just don't see where better numbers are going to materialize from. And that just makes me want to steer clear at his price. Um, I've talked for a really long time about this player, Joe. I'm not going to do that on every player, uh, but do do you have anything to add there? Yeah, I mean, the only thing I really have is I I just don't believe that if you draft him that high, you're going to be happy with the points that you get in your lineup week in and week out. And, and that's really what it comes down to. It you can say that he was the QB, you know, twelve or whatever for every week and that's great if maybe he hit certain thresholds, but if he's consistently sneaking in there, maybe like, I know he had a lot of weeks depending, you know, score independent, but a lot of weeks under 20 points as a quarterback really doesn't provide that much extra value. And the players that you're taking him over when you're taking, you know, a top three, four and a half round pick on that quarterback, I just, I don't see the value added in taking him there. I agree with that. So seems like we agree. Maybe uh, maybe when Chris hears this, he'll move him down. Probably not. He does have a pretty lengthy article over on DFF making his case for Daniel Jones. So that's worth checking out. You can decide for yourself. The thing that's for that's crazy for me is that he's actually ranked like only a couple spots away from Dak Prescott on Keep Trade Cut, and that's really what I take issue with. Is like I don't I think there's like a wide chasm between these two players as dynasty assets, just because of the quality of player that Dak has proven to be, like an actual top end NFL quarterback. He has an actually incredible cast of weapons around him. Like he, he sees a spike in interceptions last year and suddenly he's just some terrible quarterback and it doesn't make any sense to me. So not only would I say, you know, sell Daniel Jones at that price, but uh, sell Daniel Jones plus a small piece of get Dak Prescott. That's really the action point for me here. Uh, or even Kyler Murray, who is apparently ranked higher than Dak on keep trade cut now which I'm fine with, but I'm kind of surprised by just based on the, the startup ADP because by startup ADP, Kyler seems to get a lot of hate. It's a little bit higher on keep trade cut. It's, it's interesting how those two platforms, how those two sources of data don't always line up, but uh, I would definitely be trying to tear up from Jones into a more elite quarterback or down into somebody like a Geno Smith, who I think is going to score comparably if not more points this year at a much lower price moving on though to the rest of the rankings i did want to highlight a couple places where i just want to give us give ourselves a little pat on the back i think dff really nailed a couple of things here in the rankings the first thing being the elite quarterbacks are they're ranked way ahead of consensus uh, at least they're ranked way ahead of keep trade cut and that's where they should be i've been harping on it on this show for weeks and weeks basically since the beginning it's one of my biggest um, like philosophical beliefs in dynasty, I guess is just that we need to be paying up for elite quarterbacks. You should be building your team around them. So I was happy to see Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, Deshaun Watson, all ranked inside of the top 20 on our consensus rankings. Watson actually is highest 12th overall. And over on keep trade cut, you have Kyler at 40th Dak at 45th Watson at 29th. And I think that's just a fundamental misunderstanding of how quarterbacks should be valued relative to other positions. So Joe, do you agree with those rankings quarterbacks that high? And do you, do you agree with my just philosophical belief that the position needs to be valued more highly relative to uh, your other skill positions? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. There's, there's a pretty clear drop off. I'd say after what, maybe the top, you know, you could say 13 QBs. I think QB 13 right now is, I think it's either Stroud or young and yeah. it's on the back end of the second top of the third round in a startup. I don't even feel comfortable with maybe taking that one of those rookies that high necessarily, but I've been taking Dak and it's funny. We've kind of talked about him a, a lot more. Um, I took him as high as 12 in a startup this year. Um, I've, I've only done two startups, but I'm pretty sure I end up with Dak in both leagues because he's just a good player with really, really bad PR. Um, maybe Dallas football is similar in a way to, um, you know, the New York 
media as you know as a new york jets fan i mean everybody's a bad player most of the time um but he he throws some bad interceptions last year but honestly a lot of them were kind of fluky just like i always picked out and you know this is not a great comparison but you know zach wilson had some fluky interceptions oh don't say zach wilson in the same sentence as dak prescott you know i know know. that was just in the way (laughs) because i you know watching the games as a more than average fan I, you know, you can tell the difference between what was a bad decision and what was bad luck. And, you know, we can tell that we can tell those differences, Yeah. but the media, they're going to harp on it. And they, I think Dak just threw an interception in, you know, practice. It was probably sevens. And he's like, uh Oh, a Dak Prescott interception. And if you look at it, the offensive line was pushed back near Dak's feet at the time. And this is just, preseason training camp like he's not going to step up into the back of his 300 pound lineman to try to get stepped on in preseason like who i don't know yeah and not only that but like who cares if they're throwing interceptions in practice like he's an established player with a career he has one of the lowest career interception percentages of like any quarterback in the league right now and by the way, in practice is when you should be taking risks and trying to figure things out. Like who cares if you throw a pick, he's probably trying to see if he can fit the throw in a tight window where like, he might not make that same decision in a game. I don't know. It's all silly. It's not just the media doing it. It's like your average fan who likes to look at a box score or like watched a couple games where Dak had interceptions. Like, see, he's not a good quarterback. And I don't know. I hate the Cowboys. Like I'm an Eagles fan through and through, but I know Dak Prescott is a great quarterback. Um, and he's scores a lot of fantasy points. He has multiple, uh, seasons of over 20 fantasy points per game. So I I just, he, yeah, bad PR is the right way to put it. He's going to rebound in a big way. I think, uh, even in seasonal leagues, I think he's undervalued. He's going at like the QB 11. He's going almost a full round behind Tua. Um, I, I think he's a good value in, in both formats. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I love that. And I definitely think he's a buy. The elite tight ends on the DFF rankings are also above consensus, which, again, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but it's something I've talked about a lot. And we have Pitts and Andrews just criminally low on keep trade cut, 32nd and 37th overall. Over on DFF, they're 22nd and 15th, respectively. I think we need to get Pitts even higher than 22nd, but it's a good start. It's It's good, and it is well above where their actual ADP is. So, you know, if you're using those rankings, you're going to end up with those guys more often than not. And that's good. It's good for your team uh, to have those types of players. They can provide an advantage. I know you've got, you've still got Kyle Pitts in the Mario Kart league, right? Yes. I've been holding been, on to him since day one. I've been trying to pry him away from you uh, unsuccessfully for quite a while, but you're, uh, you're a smart man. You should be holding on to that for sure. I mean, uh, nobody's, nobody's giving the value, right? You, you saw it right there and keep trade cut. Like, you're not getting the value that Pitts as a prospect and player provides. Yeah. He's look at um, uh, I think it, Billy Beeman at Steam and Beeman, one of our DFF co-owners and and writers. Um, yeah, he, our listeners know him well. Yeah, he he just talked about it in an article, uh, or no, in a video. Sorry, and mm-hmm. he's like the number six tight end, at, like ever for receiving yards and catches or something in like his first two seasons. Like we're talking about this guy and he had such high expectations and yeah, maybe he he's missed those expectations. We can call a spade a spade, but it doesn't mean that he hasn't been great in terms of what a tight end is typically doing when they enter the NFL. So I know things maybe don't look that great with Ritter still there, but Mm. you got to buy the talent. It's still there. It didn't go away. Oh, absolutely. And you can, you can say he missed expectations because like that is factually true. You know, he didn't meet his ADP as a rookie or last year, but it wasn't really due to anything that he had control of, right? Like it was an injury and it was a, a very negative offensive situation uh, that honestly, even if Ritter isn't good, I I still think it will be more favorable than it was last year, just in terms of the the passing volume uh, that we see in Atlanta. So I'm still all in. Even if this year doesn't end up being the year he breaks leagues, it, it's going to happen. And in the meantime, I still think he's going to be, you know, a, a mid tight end wonder better at least. Uh, but once that offense situation gets sorted out, it's even league average. You just look at the peripheral numbers. It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, he's going to have, he's going to have a 1300 yard, 10 touchdown season at some point. Like I, I, I just feel it in my bones. Awesome. So those are some of the strengths of the rankings. 
as just generally speaking. Now I want to move on to a couple players that we have ranked higher than keep trade cut. Some we have ranked lower and some that just have a lot of variance to them players that are hard to rank. Uh, and what we're doing here, these are just players I think are interesting to talk about based on the, the gap in the ranking or just something about them in general, but we're going to just move through these a couple minutes per player and, uh, and see what we can figure out. The first two I'm going to put together because I kind of see the argument for and against them to be similar. And those are, those players are Marquise Brown and Chris Godwin, who on our site are ranked 47th and 48th overall on keep trade cut. Marquise Brown is ranked 86th and Chris Godwin is 83rd. Uh, now to be clear, there is a slight difference between our rankings, which are full PPR and keep trade cuts, which are half PPR, but that probably doesn't account for a 40 point gap. So what are you seeing here, Joe, with these two players? They, how do you feel about them uh, in terms of their rankings? You know, I, I think I agree more with the Marquise Brown ranking than I do with the Chris Godwin ranking. Um, I, I do believe that Chris Godwin is probably, uh, he's got to be somewhere in that top 15, definitely top, top 20 receivers in the NFL talent wise. I, I definitely believe that. I, it's just, it looks really tough and bleak out there in Tampa Bay right now. Um, and he, there's a lot more competition for targets there than, you know, and potentially worse QB play. I mean, from what I've seen, I know again, it's preseason, but Baker Mayfield doesn't look too great. So um, I'm a bit nervous. Chris Godwin at 48. I, I, this time I do understand buying the talent, but you got to kind of project out how many years and he's in his prime right now in a really bad situation at a position where you can find value much more easily. So I think having him ranked that highly is a little bit, makes me a little uneasy. Uh, whereas Marquise Brown also believe in the talent. I know Matt Harmon still believes in the talent looking at his reception perception numbers. Um, obviously it looks like with Kyler Murray hurt, that's going to put a potential damper on his season. Um, but there's much less competition for targets there. I think that they'll find a way with, you know, a new coach to, to get their good players, the ball. I mean, that's what you, that's what you should do. <laughs> Make it easy on the quarterback, whoever's filling in. So I, I think it's going to be a little bit easier for Brown to find a, a fan, consistent fantasy relevant season than it will be for Godwin this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's an interesting dichotomy because I think people are more sold on Chris Godwin as a talent than Marquise Brown. Um, they're both in kind of questionable situations, depending on when Kyler returns and whether he returns to form, you know, could be Colt McCoy throwing Marquise Brown. The ball could be Clayton tune. You know, I don't think Baker Mayfield's very good. He's probably better than those two, but either way, it's a little bit bleak. Uh, the thing is though, I, I always, I kind of feel like Chris Godwin is maybe a little bit overrated as a talent and I don't have his reception perception charts in front of me. I'm sure that he, he runs routes very well. Uh, he's just never been a high volume target earner. He's always had high volume because he's played in an offense that just throws the heck out of the ball. Top two in pass attempts the last three seasons in Tampa Bay, but he hasn't had a target share. His career high target share is 22%. And he's been lower than that each of the last three years. Um, Marquise Brown has, at different points in his career has actually approached 25, 26% of targets, which is a little bit more exciting to me, especially because he does operate a little bit more vertically, uh, a little more prone to to big plays as well so i yeah i don't know i think it's very close between these two but i definitely think they're both a touch too high uh in our rankings i i just i can't i can't justify them being ranked ahead of tony pollard first and foremost uh, i think there's needs to be a little bit of revision there I, I there's a qualm that i have with pretty much all rankings and honestly just fantasy football in general which is this overvaluation of non-elite production because I think you look at a player and it's like, okay, well, we know they're talented and they're going to probably play for several years and give you this sort of baseline level of production. I think just that in general is overvalued. Um, and so it's like, okay, these guys are in their prime. They have three, four years left of production. The, the question is whether that production is ever going to actually be make a difference. Cause like you said, it is a deep position. Maybe you like those guys. Maybe you think they're good, but if you look down the board four or five rounds later, you can probably find somebody who's going to score within one or two points per game of them could even outscore them depending on how 
offensive situations shake out. And so I think it's that stability that gets overvalued and maybe that's being baked in a little bit too much to the ranking uh, of these two guys. Yeah. I mean, I could see that. I also think that, and I'll touch on the Pollard point after this, but you know, I think that with Marquise Brown, at least you're talking about a guy who just turned 26 two two months ago. Um, he's definitely got a lot of time. And with Kyler, you know, unlike Tampa Bay, his quarterback is coming back. And it was just an absolute dumpster fire of an offense under Cliff. So I I can't really see a situation getting any worse than it was. Yeah. Um, it, for him, I think that I would feel comfortable buying at that price. Uh, but like, again, for Godwin, you're right. It's definitely tough. How many years left? He turned 27 in February. He's doesn't really have any sort of positive outlook where he's not going to be across from a stud in Mike Evans, you know, anytime soon. Um, he did sign that extension. So, you know, I think everybody was kind of hoping he'd leave and go f- be the alpha somewhere else, but that now that hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I definitely agree that he's too high. Um, but for Pollard, I am a little bit nervous. I, I must've, I've been eager to bring up this point because I think two years ago, I must have talked back when we were in Twitter instead of Discord. And I brought up the fact that I had never seen a back. Like, when has it ever worked out where someone paid a high two for a backup running back that we knew was talented and that they actually became the stock, the starter. And now it's like two years later. And the two people I was talking about in Madison and Pollard, they're both looking at prime time. Yes. The difference I think uh, is that Tony Pollard is good and Alexander Madison isn't. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I can't think off the top of my head of the last time that that happened. It's it's hard to actually remember an example of that. But I mean, in this case, we saw it happen. Like we saw Pollard sort of take away work over the course of the year. He finished as like the RB six or seven in points per game, I believe. He got the franchise tag. Zeke left. He's the starter. I don't know, like in this particular situation, I'm not sure what, like what's not to love. He ranks right next to Nick Chubb in every advanced rushing metric you could ever look at because he's incredible. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, like what's the, other than historical precedent uh, of, you know, him being kind of a, a unique situation. I don't know. I don't know what there is not to like. I've been snapping him up in best ball drafts all off season. Yeah, I mean, he, he could definitely be, extremely fantasy relevant this year. And and maybe that this is a one-year discount because of some of the risks that I'll say, but you know, he's 26 and he is on a one-year contract right now. Like there's, there's not a lot of long-term, there's a lot of long-term risk with. Yeah. So this is, this is actually the point. So this is the, this is key. I would rather have, so let's say Marquise Brown, what is, he's been maybe like a, like a 14 point per game wide receiver, something like that throughout his career. That's probably what he is. I would rather have one year of Tony Pollard as a 20 point per game running back than three years of Marquise Brown as a 14 point per game wide receiver. That's the key for me. I think that that one season is more useful in determining who wins a fantasy championship than those three years of production. And the reason for that is basically that I can in any given year, go trade a mid to late second for Tyler Lockett or whatever the equivalent is in that season whatever 30 year old still talented wide receiver has been left for dead and basically get the same points per game out of that player. I cannot send a mid to late second for a running back who projects to be a, the lead back on a good offense with a good quarterback who just finished in the top six and get 20 points per game. That's the problem to me. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm it's not the way that I like to build my dynasty teams. I don't like to build them on, that sort of short-term or that sort of long-term volatility. Um, But it's definitely worth the risk if you think your team is going, if you're building that kind of team that is going to go for it this year. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and and to be honest, you know, Chris Godwin and Tony Pollard are actually tied with their consensus ranking. So if Chris Godwin's name (laughs) didn't start with C and Tony Pollard's didn't start with T, Right. You might be looking at a different total ranking there, but that's why we have tiers, right? It's not all about the number next to them. You can't just take it yeah. in your fashion. That's true. I would just have Tony Pollard about two or three tiers above uh, Chris Godwin, but I digress. We will move on to the next player. 
I, oh, and, and to say, I will say specifically, if I'm not contending, I obviously am not buying Tony Pollard. I'm not going to get him. It's true. He has volatility long-term. My issue is that I wouldn't be taking, like if I wasn't contending, I wouldn't take my Tony Pollards and turn them into Marquise Brown or Chris Godwin. Like I would turn him into first round rookie picks, or I would be trying to get like Jordan Addison or like a rookie wide receiver, or a year two wide receiver. So it's just, I just don't see a lot of use case for those guys just generally, but I don't want to harp on that. We got a lot of other players to get to. These next two guys are tight ends that we are higher on than keep trade cut. Uh, and they are TJ Hawkinson and Dallas Goddard. TJ Hawkinson ranks 44th in our rankings, which are tight end premium, by the way. Uh, keep trade cut is not tight end premium. So that is going to impact things a little bit. And then Dallas Goddard is 54th in our ranks. Over on Keep Trade Cut, Hawkinson ranks 60th, so that's a 16-point gap. And then Goddard is all the way down at 86, which is 32 spots. So that's like two full, no, more than that, almost three full rounds if you're in a, in a startup draft in terms of where Goddard is ranked. So tight ends, you know, a little different than wide receiver. There is a higher value to having a, a difference maker at the position. Clearly, that's reflected in the rankings. Do you think it's right to have these guys ranked that highly? I... I do. And I don't, um, I know it's not a great answer, but I <laughs> continue, please. I love, I love Dallas Goddard. I, and I mean, I know you probably do too. It's it just, I think we, maybe we've seen what the best he can do kind of is. I keep thinking that he's going to put together this magical healthy season where he's not going to miss multiple games and he's going to average over 10 points per game at the tight end position. You know, the offense is great. There's a lot of weapons there, obviously. But one thing that definitely makes me get a little concerned is the lack of potential touchdown upside um, just because of Jalen Hurts in, in the red zone, you know, taking away those short red zone targets in the end zone. But I, I've i just – I've always bought the player. Uh, last year I traded in – when a season didn't go so well, I traded Mark Andrews um, for Dallas Goddard and what ended up being the 109. Um, you know, I – I think that the gap there talent wise is there's definitely a gap, but I, I'm a little bit, I'm probably a little bit more concerned with Goddard that high than I was before I started doing some more research on him, like a couple, probably a week ago. Um, and with Hawkinson, you know, I think that he obviously had the huge boom game last year. That's kind of buoying his fantasy averages as a Viking. Um, but I, I mean, kind of why not? right? Like he's, it's again, that position where boomer bust is okay. Um, you take that, like that's the position. It is a little high to get that, but you know, when you have that ceiling at the tight end position that anybody probably lower than eight tight end eight doesn't really have, it's probably worth it to go grab him. Um, and I think having a full off season with Kirk cousins and just getting familiar in the offense and having a player like Justin Jefferson there, to kind of take some pressure uh, maybe outside like off of the middle of the field will allow yeah. him to continue eating this year. Possibly. I, I'm a little bit so the, the Hawkinson ranking I take more issue with personally. I think they both I think they both could be a little bit lower, but I do think Goddard in our ranks is a lot closer than 86. 86 is just that's outrageously low, even in even in non-tight end premium, I think, because he does offer you an advantage over most of the other tight ends, I'd say. Uh but with Hawkinson, I just I think his production last year was a little bit fraudulent. Um, I've talked about it before, but the Vikings averaged like 42 and a half pass attempts per game uh, for the games that he played for the Vikings. And they, they like had a couple overtime games, I think. And they just, they threw the heck out of the ball. Their defense was terrible. They had Justin Jefferson, obviously, uh, but their other wide receiver that played like every down was Adam Thielen, who, averaged less than one yard per route run. He was basically the worst wide receiver in the NFL last year. Like I could have been running routes out there instead of Adam Thielen and it wouldn't have been very different. Um, so in that situation, like Hawkinson did thrive, but he didn't actually earn targets in a much like a significantly different way than he did in Detroit. He, his targets per out run was still pretty similar. I think his yards per out run actually went down because he ran so many routes so he, he, they didn't unlock some new level of TJ Hawkinson. He just went to an offense that threw a certain amount of times per game, and he went to another offense that threw a bunch more times per game. And so he ended up scoring more fantasy points. But now, just due to how regression works, like that's probably going to go down at least to like 38, 39 attempts per game. And they just added Jordan Addison in the first round, who 
is I guarantee you 100% better than Adam Thielen. So unless he like goes to prison for driving too fast, he is going to be on the field. He's going to take targets away from Hawkinson. So I just don't think 44 is, is, is reasonable. I think there's a bigger gap there between him and like the Pitts Andrews tier. I would have Hawkinson pretty close with Goddard, probably down in that fifth round area. Um, along with Pat Fryermuth, I think the three of them are all honestly pretty similar the way that they profile to, to earn targets and, and just their efficiency in general. I think Goddard's the best of the three in terms of talent. He's just, like you said, held back by a situation where pass attempts are going to be lower. Goal line attempts are going to go to Jalen Hurts a lot of the time. So it does sort of cap him. I think if there was an injury to like AJ Brown or Devonta Smith, you could see him have an incredible stretch, like, you know, tight end one over a six game stretch or something like that. That's, I think that's possible. But when you look at him, he's 28 years old. And in, in his base case, his base projection, his upside is a little bit limited by the offense. So yeah, just a little bit aggressive, maybe on the tight ends. I won't push them down a little bit, but I understand the thought process, especially in tight end premium. Moving on to some players that are lower in our rankings, as opposed to keep trade cut. These are actually just three guys. They're all running backs. Interestingly enough, I think DFF is, is kind of anti running back. Um, I, I, not necessarily, but these three guys actually, they have more than that in common. As I look at them, I realize this. They also all lack that pass catching uh, ability that really leads to league winning running back. So I think that's, that's a, a function of these ranks is that lack of pass catching is being factored in pretty heavily. And so we have these three guys. I'll just bring them all up at once. Kenneth Walker, Nick Chubb, and Damian Pierce. Uh, all lower in our consensus ranks than they are on keep trade cut. We have Walker at 58 versus 44th overall, Nick Chubb at 60th versus 41 and Damian Pierce at 91 versus 74. Well, so why don't we start with Walker here, Joe, what are your thoughts on him? I know he's dealing with a little bit of an injury right now, but outside of that, you know, what are your thoughts on Walker and his upside, I guess, because he doesn't really catch passes. Yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't a huge fan of Walker coming out of the draft last year. I was obviously, you know, disappointed when, or I guess when he went to Seattle, you kind of had to bump him up knowing the way they like to, to run the ball. And um, then this year, you know, just having to do it again and pick another running back in the second round. I mean, there's just the upside. I don't see being there. And to be honest, the, the downside's tremendous. I mean, even if you liked him as a talented player, if he's not going to catch passes and if there's the chance that an equally talented, if not more running back and, you know, Charb's taking over as a runner, like that could happen. That's a feasible outcome for this year. Then you're really just, it, I would say it's more of a coin flip between the two. And when it gets that close, I'm not taking the player that's ranked 30 spots higher than the other guy. I'm always going to lean and take the lower ranked player, the cheaper player. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, I, I tend to lean more towards Walker and as a rusher being a little bit more explosive and dynamic, but it's certainly not set in stone. Like Walker had some concerns last year with his success rate. He was kind of a boom bust runner. We don't know what they're prioritizing in Seattle. Uh, the shoulder injury to Charbonnet does kind of bail him out a little bit. Like if Charbonnet is not going to play early in the year, Walker's going to have at least as many carries as he can handle, if not targets. Um, and when he comes back, you know, maybe he'll have just sort of taken full control of that role, but, but yeah, there's fragility here because he's not, he's not a pass catcher. He didn't do it in college. He, he didn't really do it last year. If you look at his like targets per game, it was not good. Uh, his yards per out run, not good. It's not that he can't catch. If they threw the ball at him, he does have two hands. He could feasibly catch it. It's just that when we don't see players utilized that way in college, we don't see them utilized that way as rookies. It rarely materializes uh, in a significant way after that. It certainly hasn't for Nick Chubb in his career. Uh, and it's sort of a similar mold there. But I think DFF got this one right. I, I think Walker is overvalued in the consensus due to some big plays last year. I, I just sort of a misunderstanding, I guess, of his role and, and what kind of upside he does have. But yeah, I agree more so with 58 than 44. I just... I think at 44, you can still get players that have that full package league winning upside. They don't have a fellow second rounder breathing down their neck. Uh, you know, I, I'd rather have Travis Etienne. I'd rather have, I guess, obviously Saquon Barkley and Jameer Gibbs. Um, but I, I'd even consider someone like Tony Pollard over Walker just because, like I said, I value that 
league winning season potential. So I think he needs to be bumped down a little bit. Nick Chubb. Again, I agree with our ranking more so 60 overall. That's right at the end of the fifth round. You get past the, uh, the younger upside running backs and you get Nick Chubb who great rusher lacks upside it throughout his career. He has lacked upside. There's always been this question of like, what if Nick Chubb puts it all together? What if he catches passes? What if he does this, does that? He hasn't, he hasn't done it. He's turning 28 this season. And now the latest narrative is, Oh, Kareem hunts leaving town. So he's going to have this full-time role. Are you buying into that Joe? Is this the year of Nick Chubb that he's finally a league winner? I mean, I like him at 60. Um, yeah. I think that that's actually, I would be really happy with, well, I don't know. That's even 60 is maybe a little too rich. Um, but it, you know, it depends on team build. Um, I think you're still right. Like I think Tony Pollard is probably needs to be more than what is it? 12 spots only ahead of Nick Chubb. I think a full round, he needs to be more than that. Would um, you believe me if I told you that Nick Chubb goes ahead of Tony Pollard in underdog drafts? I, I wouldn't. <laughs> That's true. That the case? He does. He goes at the he goes at like the one two turn, and Tony Pollard goes in the mid second. Uh, I don't really understand it personally. I don't get why we keep doing this thing every year where it's like Nick Chubb. He's going to be the the overall overall RB one, and he's never shown to have that potential in his wheelhouse. But yeah, it's happening. I, I like Chubb as like a, a buy low candidate. Um, Apparently not, though. I thought he yeah. was – I mean, maybe in my leagues he's much cheaper than I, I think a top 40 player, even top 60. That's why I kind of you know felt like I liked him. Um, I think that he ended the season extremely poorly uh, as a fantasy player last year. Um, obviously, he had the really hot start, and they were like, okay, maybe this is the year he puts it all together. I think that he could offer a really good season this year still, even though he's 28. But that's really it. It's despite the fact that he's 28. Hopefully, the offense is better with Watson having, you know, knocking off some of the rust, um, and him having the full backfield and maybe catching a couple passes. But he's, I just, I don't see the league-winning consistency. You know, like every week being this, this yeah. guy this should be a first-round pick. Well, the thing is, he's been he's been consistent. It's just that he's been consistently not a league winner. Like he. 16.6 points per game last year, 15.4 the year before that. Um, just pulling it up as we go here. Uh, he had 17.3, I think was his career high in 2020. So like, that's good. It's a good thing to have. It's just, you look at the keep trade cut ranks and I understand like they're not gospel. They don't reflect every league, but he's ranked ahead of Cooper cup. He's one spot behind Kyler Murray. He's ahead of Dak Prescott, ahead of Travis Etienne, ahead of Josh Jacobs. I just, I don't really get that. Like that doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me where he's going in seasonal drafts either. I just think this is a more limited player than people realize. And Kareem Hunt leaving is not going to change that. We've seen Kareem Hunt miss games. Kareem Hunt barely even mattered last year. Like he hardly played. They just put whatever guy, like they'll put Dearness Johnson in that role. They'll put this year, they're going to put Jerome Ford in that role. Like they're not going to change up the way they deployed Nick Chubb in his like sixth or seventh or whatever season it is in his career. He's not been a guy that contributes much on third downs. And I don't, I think that's going to continue. So yeah, I mean, once again, I, this non-pass catching running back, I think it's correct the way that he's ranked, you know, 60th versus 41. And that's not to say he's a worthless player. 60 is still fairly high to invest. It's just, you can't put him up there like in that mid fourth round it's too, too rich. Yep. Da Damian Pierce is finally where we get into a player where I think like, okay, maybe the discount is too extreme. But I'm not. I'm still not sure. 91 versus 74, it feels low. Like I see a couple names ahead. I'm like, okay, Mike Evans. Like, I definitely take him over Mike Evans. I definitely take him over Kenny Pickett. Definitely take him over Aaron Jones. So I think like maybe it's a little bit aggressive, but I get the idea of what we're doing. We're prioritizing upside. And and Damian Pierce, another one of those guys that just didn't really flash as a receiver in college. Didn't really flash as a receiver as a rookie. He had, he had efficiency in college, I think. He just wasn't really used in that role much, which is what we look for. Um, how do you feel about Pierce heading into year two? They did sign Singletary. It seems logical that he would take on that pass-catching role, Rex Burkhead from last year kind of role, um, but maybe you have a different read on it. No, I, I mean, I was someone who – I liked Pierce last year. I've got him in a couple leagues. Um, I, I think that – 
he's just got such a an easy like the the rug could be pulled out from underneath him at any time still you know we can't also pretend that even though he survived one off season that he's going to survive again so risk long term is still there and you know we can't call him Nick Chubb as a runner by any means like no one should yeah. be doing that um and that's why he's not near 60 where DFF has Nick Chubb ranked you know he's going to be substantially lower because he's not as good of a runner and he doesn't have long-term security at that position. Um, I think that he's probably in a good spot for this year, but it's not Tony Pollard either. Like you said, you're not getting that league winning upside. Yeah. He's also in a rookie led offense with a very poor group of skill, skill position pass catchers. So, you know, you take the every down grinder, every down carry grinder in a like Deshaun Watson offense with Amari Cooper and Elijah Moore and David Njoku. And it's like, wow, that could be a valuable role. Like he could rush for 20 touchdowns. There's literally no way Damian Pierce is going to rush for 20 touchdowns. Like I'd be surprised if he gets 10. This is, this is, you know, rookie CJ Stroud throwing to Nico Collins, John Mechie and Robert Woods. Like it's not going to be sexy. It's not going to be exciting. So I definitely understand the devaluing. And I think you make a good point about the, the security, right? Cause he's young. It's like, well, He's a young player. He's got all these years out in front of him. Well, it, we can't take that for granted at running back, especially with a day three pick. Really, history is stacked against him. When you look at former fourth round running backs and like how their touches play out year by year, even if they get a lot of touches early in their careers, most of them do flame out fairly early. They don't continue to get those touches. And maybe he breaks the mold. It's just there's a lot of things in play here uh, where, where it does make it fragile. And so I wouldn't look at him as like, okay, I've got this young workhorse running back. Maybe he has lower upside, but he's really stable. You know, he's not the running back equivalent of Marquise Brown or Chris Godwin. He's not that because we don't know what that backfield is going to look like next year. Uh, it, it's just, it's just too risky at that position. Yeah. And do you know what he set his goal as for this year? You know, we talk about, you know, you want your players to have like pretty substantial goals. Like, I'm I'm great, right? Like I'm gonna do this. What do you think he oh, said? Oh, I didn't I didn't hear this. What is his goal? One thousand rushing yards. Oh, bravo! One thousand rushing yards. We are really aiming for the top here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he could have a thousand rushing yards and like not even be a top twenty-four running back. It's that's yep. it's very much possible. So, yeah, I mean, it, it reminds me of when Carryon Johnson like came out and said that he was a committee back and everybody was like, Oh, the dynasty community collectively groaned and his ADP dropped four rounds. Like not a good, not a good look. You got to be like George Pickens come out and say that if you were a Madden player, you'd have, you'd have like 99 overall speed and uh route running and this and that you gotta, you gotta be confident. Well, that's that wide receiver mindset. He, maybe he will never have that, but he could be <laughs> a little bit better than a thousand, maybe shoot for like, I don't know. 1400 something something like that would that. be good that would be very good yeah 1400 rushing yards i I'd, I'd have at least one eyebrow raised at that point so that that those are our guys we're lower on clearly we have a type or a, an anti-type i guess lastly we're going to talk about a few players that have a wide uh, range of outcomes i guess you could say they have high variance to their rankings from one analyst to the other this is a kind of a cool feature of the rankings there's a little bit of a there's a standard deviation feature included for each player so joe can you explain to the people what that is yeah so standard deviation essentially what we do is we um we have five uh we have five rankers they each put a number in right they're they're each ranking their set of players we take each number average it out and then we take that average and we take the difference um between that number that average and each person's ranking mm -hmm. and then we um and then we add those up and divide by the number of rankers. So it's the average of the average difference. If you've ever taken intro to statistics, uh, you probably did this a whole bunch of times, but you might not have actually applied it to reality. But here we have standard deviation. And what a high number in this column means is that there's a wide disparity between how our rankers view these players. So that makes them interesting to talk about because there's clearly a wide range of opinions on them. And so I'm going to bring up some of these names. I'll just throw out where they're ranked on keep trade cut as well. And then we'll talk it out. See if we can find that middle ground where they belong. Uh, the first one is a rookie Zay flowers. Rookies are always hard to rank, but we have Zay flowers first round pick to the Ravens. He's ranked at 67 on keep trade cut down at 89 on DFF, but he does have a very high standard deviation of 32. 
So I, I don't really have any frame of reference for that, but your average player, you know, you're thinking like earlier rounds, you're thinking like five, six as a deviation later on where it gets a little bit more subjective. It's like maybe 10 to 15, but here we have 32 spots of standard deviation between our rankers. So there's a wide range of opinions on flowers. I wasn't thrilled with his prospect profile personally. He was a late declare, wasn't like utterly dominant in college. But I don't know. Other analysts have sort of put me onto him a little bit. I, I do like to be humble in my process. I don't think I'm an expert in prospecting wide receivers by any stretch. Um, Jacob Sanderson specifically has kind of talked me into Flowers a little bit. More importantly, I want to bet on the Ravens offense. And so I'm, I'm into Flowers in that sense. Like I think under Todd Monken with Lamar back, Andrew's back. I think this offense has a potential to just surprise people. Uh, and that makes me want to be higher on all the pieces. And so I like Zay Flowers. I'm probably in between these two rankings, 67 and 89. Where do you where do you see him slotting in, Joe? Yeah, well, I, mean, I think you'll see these stand these larger standard deviations when you talk about scenarios where there's a lot of conflicting opinion. Um, somebody loves his film, but then he's not an early declare. Super contrasting, right. you know. He, um, he goes in the first round but it's to the Ravens who historically yeah. don't have a very good you know, history of picking wide yeah. receivers. You know, he's a guy I have stayed away from. Um, I think that you look, it, there are some people here, the lowest ranking we have is 141. That is a complete, like throw him out of your rankings. Essentially. You're never going to draft him based on the way things are going ranking. Yeah. Um, I don't think that I'm near that area. I think I'm much closer to the average for this one. I'm, I'm not going to, so it really just depends on what kind of draft you're in, right? Like I'm going to be closer to that average here because I like the, I don't like the fact that he was a late declare, but I definitely want to invest in an offense that I believe is really talented where there's, you know, Lamar is super talented and there's opportunity for someone to really, like grab that number one wide receiver spot. Like eventually history will break. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's true. Uh, it's an ambiguous wide receiver room. Like I like Rashad Bateman too, but I sort of keep those two evaluations separate where it's like, I think Bateman's good, but I also can concede that there are plenty of outcomes where he's not. And so like in those outcomes, flowers is the guy, like I don't really want them both in the same league, but in whichever league I have them, I can tell myself the story of how it works out in either case. So I don't have to be out on either guy because they're both cheap, uh, especially Bateman. He's super cheap. Yeah. But but yeah, like I, I get what you're saying there. It, it, there are those conflicting reports. My my opinion is that with the new OC and Todd Monken, that they're going to be more pass heavy. But we can't like, and that's what they've said to be fair. So I think like that's what we should think. But it's not set in stone. We do have a rushing quarterback in Lamar who hasn't had high passing volume. We can look to Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia and say like, look, see like this guy's a great quarterback. He still doesn't throw that much. So there's a lot to, to be concerned about, but I do think with rankings, it's also good to look at where a player is in terms of their position. Uh, and so we have flowers at wide receiver 38 overall. And I think there is where the opportunity cost just isn't that high. Like if you're taking a player at wide receiver 38, you know, that's not even a starter, like a 12 team league with three wide receiver spots. Like you're talking about a flex play. He's not even ranked as somebody you'd want to put in one of your three wide receiver spots on a weekly basis. I think that is plenty low enough to want to take a swing on a guy who as a first round rookie, like has so much potential to gain value if he can exceed expectations. Yeah. But I think the, you know, counterpoint, there's a mental sunk cost in trading for a guy like Zay flowers. I guess wide receiver 38 is not that expensive. A flex play isn't that expensive, but somebody just spent a first round pick on it. And they don't care where that pick or player ends up. If it hasn't yeah. been a full year, they're treating it as he is a worth a late first. I better get better than a late first next year for him. Mm -hmm. No, that's true. That's true. I, I, I guess it's not so much like a go buy Zay flowers take, which I don't, I don't really have that take because I think there's like a dozen wide receivers in his tier that are, I'm kind of fine with whoever. So I'm like, I'm buying the, I'm buying the cheapest one basically. But I guess for me, it's like, okay, if you haven't had your rookie draft yet, don't be afraid to pick Zay flowers. Uh, and like, if you have him on your team, I'm not really rushing to offload him. Like I I'm on board. 
he was my 109 and i ended up having a bunch of 109 for some reason so i had to take him in some leagues where like i would have preferred to like trade up and get jsn or addison it didn't work out and so i took flowers but it wasn't something where i'm like i'm gonna pass up on him for you know devin a chain or michael mayer or something because i don't like zay flowers i was i was comfortable taking him because he is a first round wide receiver he's gonna have some value installation and i do think that he's he's probably a talented player and so I, I do like him a bit. Well, Calvin Ridley's next yeah. on the list, right? And we've got him at wide receiver 34 overall. I mean, what do you like between the two? Another guy with a lot of different factors on both sides, right? He was a talented guy. He never really put it all together. Um, gets, you know, gets hurt or suspended. I almost said he got hurt. Yeah. Uh, gets suspended for you. It's a lot of risk involved in this player. You know, he's not any, he's not a spring chicken by any means either. So yeah. I appreciate the show back on track as I like my brain malfunctioned and I had completely lost my train of thought. And so that was an expert podcasting move by you to just go to the next name. So I want to just throw that out there. Um, but yeah, I, I think Ridley is an interesting one where in a vacuum, I'd say I probably prefer Ridley, but it's, it's going to matter, uh, you know, your team build, which is one of those things that I like, I wish was baked more into rankings and it just, it just can't be by function of what they are. Um, but yeah, like if I'm contending, I would be willing to make that swap, I think, because, you know, Ridley did put it all together once he had a, he had a wide receiver four finish, uh, in 2020 and he was incredible that year, you know, 26% target share and targets per outrun His a dot was, he was working down the field. He was successful. He was fourth in receiving yards. He was seventh in yards per outrun in the league. Um, he had a better points per game that season than AJ Brown's career best CD lamb's career best. So like, he, he had a great season by all means. And now he's in an offense that was ninth in past temps per game last year. We have Trevor Lawrence hitting year three, potentially exploding as the next superstar quarterback. I don't know. He's 28 and, and I don't have any reason to believe his physical skills have deteriorated. You know, it's all about the time spent away from the game. I don't know if that really affects his ability to break a defender's ankles or not. I'm not sure. We don't have a lot of precedent to say whether or not it's going to affect him. Maybe early in the year it will but I'm more in the camp that he's going to get back to form. And at that point, like we're talking about a 28 wide receiver, 28 year old wide receiver with wide receiver one upside playing with an elite quarterback. That's pretty tantalizing. And I, and I think I'd be willing to surrender the bet on Zay flowers uh, to, to buy into that an older player I'll, I'll give you, but also a more proven player. I knew that there was going to be some low hanging fruit, you know, surrendering the bet. I was going to, I was just thinking about how I could say, I would take the, take the gamble on Ridley. Um, but, and I would too. I, I think that Ridley, I still was always a believer in Ridley's talent um, before Matt Harmon even had like his own reception perception website. I remember, you know, Ridley being a big poster child for that. Um, and then, you know, Deontay Johnson also came around. And they were all in this like family of amazing route runners that I was always like, I need these guys in my fantasy leagues. Yeah. Um, you're in that, you're in that like points per well-run route league. Yeah. You know, that's, <laughs> I just, I love those um, because it's, it's really what you don't see that wins games in the NFL. Right. You know, and people try to, people try to take the things uh, NFL rules and turn them into like, your actual fantasy rules. You ever seen that happen? And it's like, I don't know if this is working. Out. <laughs> yeah. Points per, uh, let's do points per target for Deontay Johnson. Just uh, level things out from his, his season last year. All right. We're going to, we're going to move along here. I will say, Oh, I will say by the time this drops, there will be a video on the YouTube channel specifically about Calvin Ridley that I recorded with Chris, where we talk about his range of outcomes for 2023. So you should go check that out. Um, I think the thumbnail has another uh, gambling pun in poor taste. So you'll be able to find it easily. Uh, we're going to talk about one more player because Joe has uh, an out. He has to, he has to go shortly. So we're going to end things with Brock Purdy, who is a player that I have been rising on. I never thought that I would find myself making this case because I was such a big Trey Lance truther. Um, still am to a degree, but this is sort of a, a separate thing. I think you can be in on both guys. I think, Lance is done in San Francisco. Like every other day, there's a negative report about Lance. They say he looks terrible at practice. They're like, we tried to trade him for a bag of Doritos and every team said no. They're like, we're framing him for murder so that he can go to federal prison for the rest of his rookie contract. Like every single day, there's some other story about Trey Lance and how he's failing in San Francisco. And meanwhile, 
Brock Purdy's recovering more quickly from his elbow injury than expected. He's supposed to be cleared within two weeks. He's the starter. Like he is the starter in an offense run by Kyle Shanahan that features Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, and George Kittle. Like, can we just forget for a second this guy was a seventh round pick? And we just say, okay, we have the starting quarterback in that offense with this coach who's entering his second season. Like, that's a guy that should be valued. I think higher than 90 overall on keep trade cut, definitely higher than the 122 on DFF. I think we need to have a little round table discussion and we're like, okay, this was the, this was the thought on Purdy when he had a broken elbow and Lance looked like the starter, but we need to reevaluate here because this guy should be shooting up draft boards. Yeah. I, you know, Paul, when we eventually need to write an article that, Barry's Trey Lance. Like I, I hope that you can do it so that you get some closure. Um, just, I, I know I I've might seen, be too emotional. Yeah. I've, I've seen your love for Trey. I, I'm sorry. I, I, I want, I was never a believer in him. Um, and so I was kind of banking on Purdy. I was just listening to the coach speak, honestly. Sometimes that is, you know, it's usually not a great gamble. Um, but it seemed to work out this time. I got Brock Purdy at like 14, 10 in a league startup draft this off season. Um, that's, that's, so that's, a deal. that's aging very nicely. Um, I think it's actually in dynasty Rizball. That was a, that was a pretty good pick. If Thank I do you. say so myself. Thank you. And one of our rankers um, has actually been trying to get him from me in that league. He first offered me uh, Will Levis straight up. And then he just recently uh, bumped up that offer to Will Levis in the third and uh, I how generous straight declining <laughs> like no i no thanks um but you're right I, th I think that it's probably time that people just bite the bullet and say take the stance that lance is not the guy yeah unfortunately i think that's what you have to do uh, if you want to gamble on lance at a low price to be traded to another team or released and go play on another team you know fall back on the draft capital and the rushing upside. I can't fault you for that, but it doesn't look like it's happening in San Francisco. So like barring an injury to Purdy, like he re-aggravates his injury, he's not going to play in San Francisco. And I do not foresee Purdy getting benched for Sam Darnold at any point. So like we got a full season of this. And even if he's not even that good, we've seen Jimmy Garoppolo be not that good and score plenty of fantasy points in the past. Uh, now we have a, just a younger version of that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think he's only going up, you know, for the next few months in value. I think he he was in the eleventh, and then the tenth, and then the ninth. I think he needs to be ahead of Jordan Love, ahead of Kenny Pickett. Like, go take Daniel Jones and just trade him for Brock Purdy plus whatever you'll get because it might be a nice add-on. Like, maybe it's just a second-round pick. I would strongly even consider just that. But you might get more than a second-round pick. Like, you might get a nice wide receiver tossed into that deal. And I have just as much confidence that Purdy is good at football than Daniel Jones, and he has much better weapons. So, yeah, I think that's a great place to, to close it out. Joe, this has been great. I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, I hope your first well, podcast experience was a pleasant one. <laughs> we'll we'll have to uh, we'll have to see if we can run it back at some point. For the people out there, go check out the rankings on Dynasty Football Factory if you have a membership, or just go get one. If you don't have a membership, then you can talk to us in the Discord argue about the rankings, tell us who's too high, who's too low, all that stuff. You can tell us uh, in the comments how you feel about any of these players as well if you're watching on YouTube, and I will try to reply to those, or I can add a segment to next week's show. Uh, Joe, any final words for everybody before you make your exit? You know, uh, trust your gut, but better trust the guts of people who are doing their research and uh, get a DFF subscription. You won't regret it. Wise, wise words from a wise man. Uh, this has been the Factory Tour, everybody. I will be back with you next week.